Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So as we start off this morning, let me introduce you to a man by the name of Cliff Young. Mr. Young was a potato and a sheep farmer, and when he was 57 years old, he decided to take up running as a sport. Now, he was no stranger to running because his family couldn't afford any horses and they couldn't afford four-wheelers, and so uh, he would run around his 2,000 acres of land to round up their more than 2,000 sheep. So in 1983, at the age of 61, he decided to run a race. Now, this wasn't any race. This was not just a sprint. This was the Westfield Run, which is an ultra marathon spanning 543.7 miles from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. Now, Mr. Young was a unique competitor because he showed up to the event wearing his overalls and his gum boots. And his running style was just as unconventional because it was really more of a shuffle instead of a run. And so from the very start of the race, it really wasn't that difficult for the other runners to take the lead. But this farmer turned runner had something going for him that the other runners did not. Because of all of the years that he spent running on his land herding those sheep, he was able to run on very little sleep. And so while the other runners would run for, or while they would, take, they would take breaks and sleep for about six hours at a time, he would only sleep for only about two hours at a time. He just didn't see the point in wasting time sleeping. And so he actually ended up winning this race, smashing the previous record by more than two days. So for the last few months, we've been walking through our series in the book of Nehemiah titled Restore, Rebuild, Revive. And as we've been walking through this series, we've been, we've been asking God to send revival. We've been crying out to God, seeking his face, asking for him to send revival to our hearts, to our homes, to our church, to our community, and, and even beyond. So let me just remind you one final time of our working definition for revival. Revival is when God wakes up believers, igniting within them a desire for both his presence and his holiness in their lives. It brings both believers and non-believers to repentance, resulting in true worship and the faithful sharing of Christ with others. So I want you to hear this this morning. Our relationship with Christ is not a sprint. It is an ultra marathon As we think about crying out to God for revival, it's not just something that we do for a short period of time. It's something that we do for a long time throughout our lifetime. We continue to seek God. We continue to cry out to God for revival. And as as God has awakened us, as he has ignited within us a desire for his presence and his holiness in our lives... 
Let's not waste any time sleeping again. Let's continue running this race. Let's continue seeking God's God's face. Let's continue asking him to send revival so that we can continue to see him move, so that we can continue to see God do the things that only he can do. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 4 through 13 today. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. And as you're turning there, I'm going to set this up for you. And I'm going to give you a bit of a recap going all the way back to the beginning of Nehemiah. So from the beginning of Nehemiah, Jerusalem was in a desperate state. Their, their population was dwindling and they were left vulnerable to attacks from their enemies because they didn't have their walls and gates. Now, Nehemiah had been serving in Babylon under King Artaxerxes, but, but God called Nehemiah and raised Nehemiah up to lead his people to rebuild the walls and gates. And the walls and gates had been in rubble for more than for for nearly 100 years after the return of the Israelites after they were released from captivity in Babylon. And and so while the walls and gates, while there had been attempts to rebuild these walls and gates in the past, there hadn't been much success. But God's hand was on Nehemiah's leadership at this time. God's hand was on the city of Jerusalem at this time. And so when Nehemiah went in to lead them in the rebuilding of the walls and gates, they were able to rebuild them in only 52 days. Now, while the walls and the gates had been rebuilt, the population was still very small in number. And so God put it in Nehemiah's mind to assemble all of the officials and to go through the genealogical records to bring all the people of Israel back to the city of Jerusalem. And once they all arrived, they read from God's word together. They worshiped God. They turned from their sins. They confessed their sins to the Lord. And they even made covenants with God to continue to walk in obedience. It's safe to say that up through chapter 12, we have seen some pretty amazing things in the, in the life of the people of Israel, in Nehemiah's leadership, and, and even by God's hand himself. We've seen some pretty amazing things. Now, if we were reading a fairy tale, when we come to the end of the story, we would likely read the words, and they all lived happily ever after. That's right. But when we look at Scripture, we are not reading a fairy tale When we look at scripture, we're not reading about fictional characters that have been concocted in the mind of a creative author. When we look at scripture, we are reading about real people in history's past. We're reading real events. And so because of this, because we're reading about real humans, when we look at chapter 13, we're not going to see everything end the way we might want it to because chapter 13 doesn't tie a nice bow around the story to wrap things up for us instead as we look at chapter 13 we're going to see some some disheartening things and maybe even some troubling things because when we get to chapter 13 we see that the Israelites did not continue to walk in faithfulness to the Lord we're going to see that they did not keep their promises they did not stay faithful to the covenants that they made with God. Instead, they began giving their, their children in marriage to people of other faiths once again, and they even turned back to past 
sinful practices. Now, when we see people that have made commitments to God turning back to sinful practices, I think sometimes the temptation, to, the temptation that we have is to ask, how could they? How could they? They, they should know better than this. They, they walked closely with God before. How could they be so far from him right now? But anytime that's the temptation that I have to ask that question, how could they? I try to turn that question around on myself and ask the question, how could I? How many times have I seen God's goodness and faithfulness and then wandered away? How many times have I made that promise to God, I'll never do that again, and then I find myself entangled in sin once again? So let me encourage you, if you find yourself with that temptation in this life, asking that question, how could they, pause and ask yourself that question, how could I? Because many times we'll find that, that while the sin might be different, we as humans really are the same. We're not that different after all because the reality is, is we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And I think that the Israelites really are a good picture for us as humans. They're a good picture for us of a people that are just in the middle of this very real struggle the struggle of, of making these commitments to do what we know we should do, but struggling with turning back to sinful practices, doing the things that we have committed not to do. So let me give you a bit of good news here. God is not banking on your promises to him to save you. God is not banking on your promises to him to save you. God is banking on his promise to you through his son, Jesus Christ. That is good news for us. You see, the reality is, is that no amount of commitments, no amount of promises that we can make to God can transform our hearts. No amount of promises, no amount of commitments can, can provide salvation to us. In our American culture, I think the temptation at times is to go out and get a self-help book, right? How can I become a better version of me? But if the Israelites remind us of anything, it's that we don't need help from ourselves. We need help from a Savior. This is why Jesus came into the world. This is why Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine. Because while the law may, may have produced mourning in the Israelites' lives, may, maybe it even produced some temporary change, the law could not produce transformation of heart the law could not produce salvation but when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and mine and when he rose again through his death and resurrection transformation is available to us Jesus can transform our hearts through his death and resurrection salvation is available to us Jesus can save us from our sin. Salvation is not something that the Israelites could produce for themselves. Heart transformation is not something that the Israelites could produce for themselves, and it's not something that, that you or I can produce either. But the good news is, is Jesus can produce that in our lives. If we are willing to turn to him and allow him to transform us, he will transform us from 
the inside out. So let's read Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. It says, Now before this, the priest Eliashib had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah and had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, and the tents of grain, new wine, and fresh oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. While all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified, and I had the articles of the house of God restored there, along with the grain offering and frankincense. I also found out that because of the portions, uh, because the portions for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing the service had gone back to his own field. Therefore, I rebuked the officials, asking, Why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and singers together and stationed them at their posts. Then all Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and fresh oil into the storehouses. I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses the priest Shelemiah, the scribe Zadok, and Padeah of the Levites, with Hanan, son of Zachar, son of Madaniah, to assist them because they were considered trustworthy. They were responsible for the distribution to their colleagues. So you may or may not know the name Germany Schaefer. Germany Schaefer, he played for several different major league baseball teams between 1901 and 1918. And he was best known for his strange offensive strategy. While he was on second base, he would steal first base. He would run in the wrong direction. Why? Because he wanted to confuse the pitcher. Now, in 1920, after, after uh, uh, Germany Schaefer had retired, they, they made a new rule saying that if a runner runs in the wrong direction, runs and takes the bases in the wrong direction, that the umpire must declare him out. So in chapter 13, we see the Israelites running in the wrong direction. And it's not that they're trying to confuse. They're running in the wrong direction because they had decided to compromise. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to discuss three things that we don't want to do if we don't also want to run in the wrong direction. So first, we don't want to forget who our true leader is. We don't want to forget who our true leader is. Let's look at the first part of verse 6 again. It says, while all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon. So if you remember back in chapter 7, Nehemiah had appointed Hananiah and Hananiah to be the leaders of Jerusalem. It was never Nehemiah's plan to stay in Jerusalem to lead the people of Israel, uh, but so, so it's really no surprise then that, that we see that he has gone back to serve in Babylon under King 
Artaxerxes, and there's some time that has passed between chapter 12 and chapter 13. And so Nehemiah had been gone for a while, and when he returned to Jerusalem, it's then that he sees all of these compromises that the, the people of Israel had made in his absence. You see, while Nehemiah had raised up Hananiah and Hananiah to lead the people of Jerusalem, they, they really still looked to Nehemiah as a leader for them. They looked to Nehemiah to hold them accountable to the law, to hold them accountable to their covenants. And so much like these stories that we hear about uh, when, when, when parents go out of town, their teenagers get into trouble, Nehemiah has gone out of town and the Israelites have gotten into trouble. But it would seem that the Israelites have forgotten who their true leader is because Hanani and Hananiah are not their true leader, and neither was Nehemiah their true leader. Really, God was their true and ultimate leader. You see, it was God that established the covenant with Abraham. It was God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. It was God that brought the, the people of Israel up out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, and even allowed for them to rebuild the walls and the gates. Now, God may have used human leaders in the process, but, but ultimately, God was their true leader throughout all of this. They may have looked to Nehemiah as a leader for them, but even Nehemiah bowed before the one true God. And, and while Nehemiah may have left them, their true leader, God, never left them. Their, their true leader, God, never allowed for them to be alone. So let me pause and ask you this. Do you realize that your true leader is always with you? Do you realize that your true leader is always with you? You, you really never are alone. So I once read about a discussion that a counselor had with, with a man he was counseling, and, and this man, he struggled with, with some personal temptations, some, some personal battles. And so the counselor said, when do you struggle the most? When, when is it that the temptations are the strongest? And he said, I struggle the most. The temptations are the strongest when I'm all alone. And this counselor said to him, he said, your first mistake is not giving in to the temptations. Your first mistake is believing that you're all alone. You see, husbands, when your wives leave you home alone, you really are not alone. Wives, when your husbands leave you home alone, you really are not alone. Children, when your parents leave you home alone, you really are not alone because God never leaves us. You see, we don't serve a fictional character passed down through generational folklore. We serve a very real and ever-present God. And because we serve a very real and ever-present God, even if everyone else leaves us alone, we still are never alone because our true leader is always with us. Now, this is not the first time that the Israelites have turned back to sinful practices when their earthly leader has left them. If you remember going back to the book of Exodus, when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to meet with God and to receive the Ten Commandments, the Israelites build for themselves a golden calf and begin to worship this idol instead of the one true God that had just rescued them out of slavery. 
So what the Israelites are doing here in the book of Nehemiah is really no different than what generations past had already done. So let me pause and ask this question. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? When is it time to break the trends of generations past? When is it time for us to begin walking in obedience for ourselves? When is enough enough? Listen, your parents may have struggled with a certain sin, and maybe even your grandparents struggled with a certain sin, and maybe even your great-grandparents struggled with that sin. But the reality is, is that through Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if your parents struggled with it, your grandparents, or even your great-grandparents. Through Jesus Christ, you can walk in freedom today you don't have to be bound to that sin any longer and so i would remind you that your true leader god is big enough to break that trend your true leader god is big enough to set you free from whatever sin you might be bound in How do I know this? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And if Jesus can conquer death, then there's nothing in my life or your life that he can't overcome. So we don't want to forget who our true leader is. Second, we don't want to let the enemy take up residence in our lives. We don't want to let the enemy take up residence in our lives. Let's look at verse 7 again. It says, Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. Now, if you remember, Tobiah is someone that we saw all the way back in chapter 2 of Nehemiah and throughout Nehemiah because he was someone that was opposing the rebuilding of the walls and gates. Tobiah is someone that that mocked Nehemiah, that threatened Nehemiah, that even tried to deceive Nehemiah. He did not want the walls and gates to be rebuilt. Yet when we get here to chapter 13, here he is not only living in Jerusalem, but he's living in the courts of God's house. And furthermore, we're told in verse 4 and 5 that in order for him to have a place to live in, a room to live in in the courts of God's house, Eliashib cleared out the room that was used for storing the offerings for God. He cleared out that room to allow Tobiah to live in there. In other words, Eliashib was, was allowing for something created for godly purposes to be used for ungodly things. He was allowing for something created for godly purposes to be used for ungodly things. So let me pause and ask this. Do you realize that you were created for godly purposes? Do you realize that you were created for godly purposes? Whether you've given your life to the Lord or not, when God created you, he created you for his purposes When God created you, when God created me, when God created each of us, it was to bring glory and honor to him. We were created to glorify God. We were created for godly purposes. And so the question is, is are you allowing your life to be used for godly purposes? Are you allowing your life to be used the way that it was intended to be used? Or are you allowing your life to be used for ungodly things? Have you allowed the enemy to take up residence in your life? Have you allowed sin 
to reign in your life. Now, if you're here today and you would say you've never given your life to the Lord, then understand the only way for for your life to truly be used the way that it was intended to be used by God is, is by you turning from your sins and allowing Jesus to become the Lord of your life today. Jesus allows for us to do exactly what God created us to do. But if you're here and you would say you have given your life to the Lord, you're, you're a believer, then don't allow sin to reign in your life. Don't allow the enemy to take up residence in your life any longer. So how do we allow the enemy to take up residence in our life? Well, similarly to what Eliashib did, when, when we begin removing godly things in our life, and we start replacing those things with ungodly things, then we are giving the enemy a foothold. When we start, start removing, uh, gathering together as believers, we start removing faithfully praying, faithfully seeking God. We start removing, studying God's word, walking in that right relationship with him. We start removing these things and we start putting in the things of this world in, in its place then we are going to give the enemy a foothold and we're going to find that the enemy has taken up residence in our life. So what if we say, okay, the enemy has taken up residence in my life. How do we get rid of that? Well, what did Nehemiah do? He went in and he threw out all of Tobiah's stuff. He just got rid of it all. So I saw a Facebook post earlier this week about junk drawers. Junk drawers are, are something we all seem to have, right? We, and, and in this Facebook post, it says that most of us have them in our kitchen, right? We just have a catch-all, a junk drawer. Now, I'll be honest, my junk drawer is the top drawer of my chest of drawers, right? I, I try to be a fairly organized person, but what's in my top drawer of my chest of drawers is, is just uh, a lot of the stuff that I didn't have a place for. I didn't have a, a nice, neat place to put it on, so I just kind of threw it all in, in the junk drawer because I didn't want it laying out because I don't want people to come over and just see all of my junk, right? And so I just, I throw it in this junk drawer to kind of hide it away. So let's say we wanted to clean out this junk drawer. We, we want to get rid of it. How would we get rid of all that stuff? We would, we would get rid of it. We would, we would take that drawer and we would empty it out. We would get rid of that stuff. We would clean it out. So, so let me just take a moment to, to ask you, let's do, do some personal inventory right here. Do you have a junk drawer, not in your home, but do you have a junk drawer in your heart? Do, do you have an area in your heart where you're kind of hiding away all those things that you don't want others to see? You're kind of hiding away all the junk that you don't want others to see to know about. Do you have a junk drawer in your heart? And if you have a junk drawer in your heart, then let me encourage you to clean it out. But, but don't just clean it out yourself. Turn it over to God. You see, when Eliashib, went, when he cleaned out Tobiah's stuff, he, he then went and put everything back in that belonged in there. He put all of the, the godly things back into that room and, and and before he did that first he purified it when we when we give our junk drawers the junk drawers of our heart over to god he he purifies it he he cleans it out for us and then he refills it now if we try to refill that junk drawer we're probably going to refill it with with junk again all right but when we give it to god when he cleans it out for us he refills it not with more junk but he refills it with more of himself and that's where that's what we want in our lives we want more of jesus in our hearts 
So if you've got those junk drawers, allow for the Lord to clean them out and don't allow the enemy to take up residence in your lives any longer. Finally, this morning, we don't want to neglect the things of God. We don't want to neglect the things of God. Let's look at verse 11 again. It says, therefore, I rebuked the officials asking, why has the house of God been neglected? So what we see happening here is that the people had committed to give. We saw that in a previous chapter, right? They had they'd made a covenant with God to, to follow the, the law, to walk in obedience in giving. They were going to give an eighth. They were going to give a tenth. They were going to give their first fruits. They were going to make sure that they provided for the things of God. They were going to make sure that they provided for the house of God. But they were not following through with their commitments, They were not following through with what they had said they were going to give. And because of this, they had called Levites in and they had called singers in to to come and lead them in worship, to come and and lead them in the things of God. But those Levites, those singers had to go back home because they were not being taken care of. They were not being provided for. And and so we have this reminder that, that we want to, to give faithfully so that the things of God, so that the house of God will be taken care of, so that the things of God, so that the house of God will not be neglected. So let me just take a moment to talk about our, our 2022 budget. Next month in November, we're going to be we're going to be uh, voting on our 2022 budget, all right? And, and as we think about the budget for the church, the budget provides for this church body. The budget provides not just, not just for the building, but it provides for the ongoing work and ministry here at First Baptist Watauga. It provides for all of the things that God is doing here. And, and let me just tell you, right, because of COVID, the, the budget was slashed greatly. And so as we look to this new year, we're going to see an increase in the budget. And that shouldn't scare us. That should excite us because it means that God is moving. It means that, that God is doing some great things here at First Baptist Watauga. Let me just, er, sorry, First Baptist Stockdale, woo, man, thanks for laughing, I didn't even catch that, (laughs) First Baptist Stockdale, sorry, (laughs) you're somewhere for 11 years, that that name just kind of gets stuck in your head, all right, I hope God is still doing great things up there, but but God is doing some great things here at First Baptist Stockdale, and let me just tell you about some of those things, I know that not everyone is here on Wednesday nights. This last Wednesday night in this room, we had 33 children here for children's choir. And over in the fellowship hall, we had 31 youth. That's sixth through 12th graders. So from children up through high school, we had 64 young people here on this campus. Yeah, let's celebrate that for a moment. And I can just tell you that every single one of those 64 young people heard the gospel presented on Wednesday night. You see, when we give, when we give to the budget, when we give to to the things of God here at this church body, we are able to, to... Uh, accomplish God's work here. This is why we give faithfully. Uh, You know, there's only so much that I can do on my own financially. There's only so much that you can do on your own financially. But when we pull our resources together the way God has called us to, we are able to accomplish so much more. 
Now, not only that, but, but we also have what we call the cooperative program. The cooperative program is really what makes us unique as Southern Baptists because a percentage of what we bring in every month goes to the cooperative program. And what the cooperative program does is it funds missions around the world. And so through the cooperative program, not only are we able to impact our ministries here at First Baptist Stockdale, right? But we're also able to, to impact the world, right? Now, with, with Operation Christmas Child, right, we're able to, to impact maybe a child for the season. But through the cooperative program, when, when we give faithfully through the cooperative program, we are able to impact this world with missions all year long. And so I just want you, to, I want you to get excited about what God is doing here at First Baptist Stockdale because God is really doing great things. And as we look to the, the new year, we want to be committed to the things of God. We want to be committed to the kingdom of God here at First Baptist Stockdale. The Israelites, they were not giving faithfully. And because they were not giving faithfully, the work of God had stopped. And when Nehemiah got back, he was disheartened. He was angered, and he called for them to repent. He called for them to begin doing the things that they had committed to do. And so as we look at the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13 really isn't the best ending to the story, but we see a lot of good reminders for us so that we don't, uh, we don't run in the wrong direction as we continue running this ultra marathon together now if you're here today and you would say you've never given your life to the lord then understand you are going in the wrong direction but you can turn and begin going in the right direction today by giving your life to jesus christ and if you need to do that then i want to give you the opportunity to respond so in just a moment we're going to sing one final song and as we sing this final song, this will be your opportunity to respond this morning. If you've never given your life to the Lord today, but you recognize, as we have looked at God's word, you recognize the sin that's in your life that needs forgiveness, and you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins and for mine, and today you're ready to give your life to him, I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. You can step step out of your seat and you can join me down here we can talk we can pray today today can be the day of your salvation now maybe you're here today and you would say you you've given your life to christ but you know that there are areas of your life where you've got a junk drawer and you need god to clean that junk drawer out maybe there's areas of your life where you would say i've been neglecting the things of god if you've got areas like that today, you can deal with God right where you're at. But if you need someone to pray with you, I would invite you to respond as well. Maybe you're here today and you would say you've given your life to the Lord, but you've never followed with baptism. You've never taken that step to make your faith in Christ public. Then I would invite you to respond as well. We can talk. We can pray today. You can make that commitment to be baptized. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you've been visiting First Baptist Stockdale and you know that God is calling you to make this your church home. 
You want to come and be a part of what God is doing here in this church body. You want to come and be a part of, of the mission that we have here to love, to grow, to serve, and to, grow, uh, and to go. If that's you, if God is calling you to become a member here at First Baptist Stockdale, then I would invite you to respond as well. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, let's respond obediently during this time. Stand with me right now and let's pray together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.